Well, good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Stefan Turon. Uh, this is my second preach, and so I am learning, because in the first one, I didn't introduce myself, I didn't say good morning, I just kind of whacked it straight <laughs> off. So hopefully we are learning, and so a very warm welcome to all of you guys. Also for the guys online, I know Eric is tuning in from Lagos in Nigeria. Eric, my man. So thanks so much for being with us this morning. So now I have to quickly fess up. You know, preaching is, especially if you're a lay preacher, and if it's not, you know, you're not very well versed in it, this can be quite a stressful time. But I've been so blessed through the week. There have been so many guys, Heike, Skalk, so many guys that have just kind of tuned in through the week and said, hey, buddy, how are you doing? Lance, thank you so much. You know, it's great that as a preaching team, we can see how people kind of rally around us. But in being so focused on preaching this morning, I was up at four o'clock and uh, kind of went through the preaching and everything else and got in the car and I could see Corin was a little bit tearful and I kept in like, babe, what's going on? Like, I forgot to say happy birthday. So this is a public confession. <laughs> I'm so sorry, babe. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry, I'm sure we'll hear about it later. <laughs> but you know what, I want to honor, honor my amazing wife. You know, um, it's been a long road for us. And uh, she's stuck with me through my forgetfulness and through so much of the stuff that we've worked through. What an amazing thing. You know, God says that he who finds a good wife finds a precious thing. I found an amazing wife, and I'm so blessed for it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Don't stop praying for me. <laughs> and so we're kind of in the middle of a series called The Nameless People in the Bible. And so John spoke to us uh, originally about the cupbearer. Then Heike spoke to us about the second son in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, last week, Chalky spoke to us about the children and you know, coming to Jesus and, and being inclusive. Now, for the last couple of years, I don't know, it must be in my middle age, I've really been battling with hay fever, and specifically for two months in the year, it's really, really been bad. And so I've really been praying for the rain to come, and I don't know about you guys, but man, yesterday's thunderstorm was absolutely incredible. I just stood outside in the window, and it was just it was bliss. Now, we've got, we're in a place called Cedar Lakes. We have got a whole bunch of lakes throughout our estate. They are green. They are toxic. The guys are coming to test water samples. I'm sure there's a couple of dead fish floating around. <laughs> and so we've really been praying for rain to come and just wash out all of this and to refill the dams and to just clean the space out. And so I really pray that this morning that would be it for us, that in those areas where we've become dry, there's parts of our lives that are a little bit smelly and become a little bit toxic, that the Holy Spirit would come this morning and just wash over you and clean out those spaces. And so the passage that I want to share with you this morning is one that is incredibly close to my heart because it had such a profound impact on me at a time in my life when I was so desperate to hear this particular message. And it is the story of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. 
I'm going to try and, and hold it together through this one. So a little bit of backstory to this. Um, Israel settles in the promised land. They kind of veer off and, and worship other gods. And they are taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is the time when we see the story about Daniel and his friends. And so what Nebuchadnezzar used to do is he used to take off all of the guys that could cause trouble in the areas that he had occupied. And so all the young men, the young women, he takes them and he puts them into his service as slaves. And so we see a large part of Israel that's taken off into captivity around 500 years before Christ. Now what he also allowed was he allowed other foreign tribes to settle in Israel's land. And particularly in the area of Samaria, you find these guys that come in. They kind of take over the land. They intermingle with the, the elderly and the, the sickly Jews that were left behind. And so you kind of have this nation of half-breeds, those of, of mixed blood. And so by the time Israel comes back out of captivity, these guys are utterly despised for so many different reasons. To the point that the Jews would not even talk to a Samaritan person. And so we find in John 4, verse 4, it says, So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, I kind of had played this in my mind so many times, and I reckon that she was quite a feisty woman, because she says to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And you see, the time of day is noted here. It says in other translations it was about the sixth hour. And the reason why this is significant is because she is here on her own. And she's here in the middle of the day. Now, if you know that area of the world, it gets pretty hot. I'm not sure what the season was, but this is not a great time <laughs> to be outside and to be carrying large pitchers of water. But she's here during this time of day because she is so ashamed and she's trying to avoid the rest of the people in the village that normally congregate at the well. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you see, she's still in a fighting mood. You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? She's not quite understanding yet. And she's still got her barriers up. And Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I gave them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Think she got it? She says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming back here to draw water. 
that she's missing the point. Because <laughs> all she has in the back of her mind is shame. And the fact that she has to keep on coming back here. And in keep on coming back, she has to keep on facing the shame of the other women that meet at the well. See how gentle Jesus is in this. He says to her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she says. And Jesus says to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands. And the man that you are with is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Hey, no. Jesus gets straight to the heart. You know, sometimes when we interact with people, we feel the Holy Spirit nudging us to set aside the stuff and to get to the point of what's happening in that person's heart. Where I love, you know, words of wisdom, the ability to be able for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the truth in someone's heart. And so she has a short left. <laughs> she, she gets into a, a theological discussion. And she says, yeah, but you Jews worship in Jerusalem, and you said that you know, we can't worship on the mountain. You see, that the Samaritans were so despised that when Israel came back and rebuilt the temple, they were not allowed to build the temple with them. And these boys were pretty, because they built their own temple. They said, yeah, well, you know, whatever, then we're going to do our own thing. And so the Jews never, um, you know, uh, considered that to be a, a temple that was built for God. And now she goes into this little side stream. You see, because that which Jesus is revealing to her about her heart is so absolutely painful. And so she, she ducks off into a side street. And then watch how gently... Jesus just brings her back. He says, woman, I would have said, listen, chick. <laughs> but he says, woman, <laughs> believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers worship him in spirit and in truth. Watch the following thing, because this is incredibly significant. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I the one speaking to you am he. Now, previously, Jesus had met with Nicodemus, had long conversations with him. But this is the first time that Jesus chose to reveal to anybody that he is the Messiah. The most unlikely, seemingly unworthy person. But he meets with her and reveals himself to her. I'm paraphrasing, but just after that, the disciples come back and they also say to the cut of a warm duck. They don't know where to go because yes, Jesus, 
interacting with a woman, which is totally taboo, and a Samaritan. And they, they actually don't know what to say, so I think they just keep quiet. And then she bolts. I use that word because I'm sure she was like Usain Bolt. She wasn't walking. She bolts home. And she gets to town and she says, Come see this man who has told me everything I've ever done. Can he be the Messiah? And so suddenly all the shame is thrown off. And she, she's like the first evangelist. She brings Jesus to a group of people. And the scripture tells us that, they, that a lot of them came out of the town, met with Jesus. They convince him to stay, and Jesus stays two days in this town. And as a result, many people are saved. Yeah. I want you to see something that is so significant about this particular story. There's so many places in the Bible where God specifically names people. Rahab, the prostitute. And so many others. There are names. We can track them back. Why does he choose not to reveal this important person's name? And the other thing that really caught me, because something didn't add up for me. I see, her, I see him telling her about her husband's, but she says, come meet the man who's told me everything I've ever done. I said, there's a little bit of a disconnect for me. Excuse me, talking too much. There's a little bit of a disconnect for me here, but I want you to see the heart of Jesus. That in this critical, incredibly sensitive moment, he chooses to protect your identity. And he does not reveal their full discussion with either the disciples or with us in respect for her. See how gentle he is? Her story is in the word forever, but he protects her. And there's a lesson for us here that when we are dealing with people's hearts, when God uses us to reveal things and we are ministering that we keep in secret that which is only for their ears, we hold people's hearts in our hands and it's critical that we keep that between them and us and God. I'm so thankful that very often when God speaks through us in words of wisdom that we forget what he said. Because it's for that person, not for us. And so, why is this story so significant for me? Because there was a time in my life that I, even though I'd met with Jesus that I was turning to other things to be able to fill my joy, my sense of belonging, and love, but instead I found only rejection and shame. And so during this dark night of the soul, I ran into, <laughs> I ran into a crowd of, of people. Um, it's now become one of the biggest um, ministries of its size, 42 countries, still running after, I don't know, 30 years. Something called Living Waters. And Living Waters is really designed and built as a program to minister to, I think, all of us, specifically in the areas of relational brokenness and everything else that comes along with that. 
And through this process, we were taught about the father heart of God, the true masculine, the true feminine. And so many other things where God had an opportunity over 26 weeks to reestablish those broken thoughts, the broken patterns that we had grown into because of our brokenness. Now, in that sense, the traditional church has fallen so short in truly ministering, specifically in the areas of relational brokenness, broken sexual patterns, homosexuality, whatever else it is that comes along with that. And you see the story of, of the Pharisees that bring the woman that was caught in adultery and they throw her naked before him. And Jesus says, let he who has not sinned throw the first stone. I've heard someone pre preach this, but they said that you can read the scripture, it says Jesus was writing in the sand. And this person reckoned that he was writing down the mistresses, the prostitutes that the Pharisees had been with, their names in the sand. And one by one, the Pharisees leave because they stand condemned. But as a church, we sometimes fall short of being able to minister into this particular area. C.S. Lewis writes the following. He says, if we consider the unblemished promises of reward, the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. So if we look at living waters elsewhere in the scripture, Jeremiah 2 verse 12 says, "Stand in." this is the message by the way, it says, stand in shock heavens at what you see. Throw up your hands in disbelief. This cannot be God's decree. My people have committed a compound sin. They've walked out on me. The fountain of fresh flowing water. And then dug cisterns, cisterns that leak, cisterns that are no better than a sieve. And that was very much me at one stage. Whenever I was, the guys that had been through the 12 steps will know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Whenever those things halt, or happen, halt is an acronym, but whenever I was in that space, I used to turn away to other things that, that wasn't him. And the fact of the matter is that just made my shame and my self-loathing and everything else just go so much deeper. And so the real question is, when you're thirsty, where do you go? For us as guys, sometimes it's work. For some of us, it's sexual sin, fantasy. 
sort of ladies we sometimes find as mills and boons and fantasizing about the perfect husband or the perfect relationship, whatever the case may be. So the question is, where do you go? I just want to present to you just a little bit more about what is the living water? <laughs> you know, when you're in this process where you're prepping for a preach, you, you, know, you sometimes feel like you're a little bit on your ace and you have guys that speak into your, into your life. But this morning during the prayer meeting, John, happy birthday, by the way, buddy. <laughs> John reads this scripture. It says, John 7, verse 38 to 39. He says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And it says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered His glory. And so I want us again to become so aware of the thirst that we have within us and our need to be able to come and drink from the living well. And so I just have five observations that I'd like to go through. And the first is, what, is it, what does thirst mean? What does come to drink mean? What are the rivers that flow out of the heart? What is the reference of the Holy Spirit about? And lastly, the fact that it was prophesied. So thirst, come to me and drink. And so Jesus doesn't say, come to me so I may give you water. He says, come to me and drink. So we are meant to drink and to feed our souls and our spirit by drinking of Him. The living water. We were made for Him. We were made as eternal beings. But it is only Him that can sustain us. It is only when we drink from Him. It is only in community and communion with Him that we become fully alive. You know, so often we, especially in Joburg, we, <laughs> we just go. And especially during this COVID period, there's been a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on us. I know some of us are entrepreneurs in this building. My condolences. <laughs> I've often said that if you want to be an entrepreneur, come, I'll teach you. And the guys know every day you walk in, I'm going to kick you between the legs. And after a month, you still want to come. And you might have the makings of an entrepreneur because every single day there's going to be something that's going to come across your path that you couldn't even have dreamt about. And if you're running it on your own, I'm guaranteeing you that you're going to come up empty because you don't have what it takes. We need Him every day, every single moment. He is the only thing that we can feed off. Nothing else will fill that place. You know what? It's free. And this should be like breathing. It should be an unconscious thing, this constant interaction, this constant nurturing of our relationship with Him. You know, someone once said that they pray for parking. <laughs> and they drive right to the front because they're expecting Him to open up a space for them. Is that stupid? I don't think so. 
because I think that our day should be filled with this constant interaction, this constant breathing, this constant being aware of His presence, this constant calling out to Him. As guys, we separate our lives. We try and box it. This is one box that you can't fill. He's the one that we need to turn to every single day. And everything that Jesus said and did had this one aim, that we may drink from him and be satisfied forever. That our soul may live off him. There's nothing more important. And there's an outflowing of this. It says that it's a spring that, that bubbles over. For the woman at the well, it was running straight back to the very people that had despised and hated her and gossiped about her. She ran straight back to her shame. Because she couldn't contain what Jesus had done in her life. I think we've grown cold when you've been on this road for such a long time. And we sometimes take for granted this moment where Jesus meets with us. And there's a spring of life that springs up inside of us. And we sometimes have verbal diarrhea. We can't stop talking about him. so yearn for that moment that once again I might understand get an inkling again of him alive in me and what he had set me free from the fact that my name is written in the book of life is, is amazing but you know the fact of the matter is that there's so few people, few people that truly understand this that we are made for him and that without him, we will never fully be the people that we could potentially be. Now, coming to drink. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our souls are made for him. It is without him we are nothing. But he is the one that keeps on sustaining us. Now, believing is this exact thing. It's believing that Jesus is the water that we need, but that our soul is constantly and continually coming to him and drinking from him so that we don't grow thirsty. So what are the rivers that flow from the heart? John 7 verse 38 says, Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now we are way more than just our physical bodies. We are spirit and we have a soul. And we need to tap into the spring. We cannot live without it. Our physical bodies cannot live for longer than three days without water. In the same sense, our soul and our spirit was made to drink from him continually, moment by moment and day by day. And so the reference that they made of the Holy Spirit, it says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. 
And so at this moment, this is not something that the disciples could have experienced because Jesus had to die and be glorified so that his spirit may be given to us. And as the Father that gives it to all of us who believe, it says in John 7, uh, 14, verse 17, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later He will be with you. And so the Holy Spirit is the glorified Jesus that is living inside of us. Scripture tells us that His body is sitting with the Father at the right hand of the Father, but that He gives us the Spirit who is alive in every single one of us. And so in terms of our compulsions, Romans 8 verse 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. This is the mark of a believer. This is the mark of someone who is born again, is that Jesus has poured His Spirit into us. We are the temple. Our body is the, is the temple. And lastly, it was prophesied, he says, for the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. In Isaiah 58 verse 9, the message says, you'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that does not run dry. It was prophesied means that God had this as part of his plan forever. He didn't make it up as he went on. And so the fact that you're here today, he knows. He knows this moment. He's pre-planned so much of it, all of it. But this particular thing is that he's, he's destined for us to be able to have the Holy Spirit within us. And so just in closing, it says, in God's presence, says Psalm 16 verse 11, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The cry of Psalm 63 verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And an oldie but a goodie. Says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. So I don't know where you may be at this morning, but I want to invite you if you're running dry, maybe you've been running on empty for a while, maybe there's some things that you're turning to that's not living water. And it keeps on driving you back into your shame and into the cycle of addiction and cycle of shame. If you feel like this woman that was ashamed of her past or what you've done or where it is that you have been, I want to invite you to come and experience the miracle of Jesus of utter forgiveness, of complete restoration of a new life of living waters that cleanses the soul and keeps on feeding us.
So we may be completely free. So maybe like me, you've come to the well and you've met with Jesus a long time ago. But the thorns and the thistles, thistles, the thorns and the thistles have strangled the seed that God has implanted in you. And the worries of life and fear and all these other things that kind of encroach into our lives has you wondering about whether it's all real or has you feeling dry and there's no life left. I want to invite you to come for a fresh infilling, for a fresh understanding of who Jesus is and the fact that we cannot live without him that our lives are made, designed to be able to breathe Him constantly, to be in constant conversation with Him. And so after I pray, I'm going to ask that some of the leaders in the home group leaders would just hang about at the front. And if you need prayer, we'd love to be able to pray with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you love us despite who we are and who we've been. But that you are the one who gives us second chances, that you are the one who saves us, who saves us from ourselves, who saves us from our past. Jesus, you are the one who comes and gives us living water and that you are the one who fills the dry spaces within us. You are the one who gives us life and life to the fullness. And so, Father, I want to pray this morning for every single heart that is broken, every single heart that is ashamed, every single heart that does not know and hasn't experienced that you are the living waters that keeps on cleansing, that keeps on feeding, so that we may not be thirsty. Even for us that have been on this road for such a long time, Lord, I pray that you would again give us a thirst for you. Father, our relationship with you may have become stale or it may have become a wing and a prayer when we're in trouble. I pray that your spirit may come upon us and we may once again hunger and thirst for a communion with you that is like breathing. That there is not a moment without you Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you keep on pouring yourself out as a drink offering for the nations. I pray that you would once again come and awaken our hearts to a world that is dying out there. And so, Father, wherever we find ourselves during the day, at work with clients, with colleagues, in the canteen, sitting across someone at the office. Father, just in this moment, I pray that you would bring to mind someone that needs you desperately. And I pray that you would give us the courage to reach out 
to give living water to someone who inside is dying and is desperate, but looking in all the wrong places. Jesus, thank you for the rain. Thank you that you do come to replenish the earth, but that you come to replenish our hearts and that you wash away all our sin, all our shame. That we are clean and that we present it as the bride to the Father without spot or blemish because of you. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing day.